Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter, as we talk a lot about the NBA and, of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 229. The Colorado Rockies are only the second team in the entire history of baseball to win a series with a run differential of minus 20 or worse. Last week, they won a series against the Angels with that minus 20 run differential. They are only the second team to have done this, with the first occurring 125 years ago when in 1897, the now defunct Louisville Colonels won two of three games against the Chicago Colts, formerly at the time the Chicago White Stockings and now better known as the Chicago Cubs with a minus 23 run differential. You can attribute this awful stat to the Rockies losing 25 to one in the second game of the series, but winning seven to four and four to three in the first and third games. So the question is, does run differential really matter? And to that, I say, yeah, kind of, but this is definitely a statistical outlier here. Well, yeah, I mean, normally your run differential is, you know, one, two or three in the majority of games it is not often you have mm-hmm. a plus 24 run differential in one game those are anomalies for sure a run differential still matters over the course of a season we'll say that yeah it's definitely a great way to predict how you perform on average makes it a lot easier than just knowing that you won and lost games if you're winning every game by one and you have the same record as a team who wins by you know 19 apparently every game that that team's going to be better you would assume or you just scored 20 points in one game and you didn't score for the rest of the series who knows yeah it helps identify like uh, underachieving versus overachieving teams kind of yeah for what it's worth in that 1897 game the colts the chicago colts won 36 to 7 in the second game of that series but then lost the other two games two to seven and seven to eight I wonder when the last time a team scored 36 in a game was. Oh, I can find out. Give me a hot second. While you're looking that up, we're just going to move right on because uh, we have quite a few things to list down about the NBA. Free agency opened up, so we saw a lot of contracts being done. We talked about trades last time. Not as many of those going on this time, but definitely a lot of guys signing new contracts. We know our audience, so we'll open up with some Cyclone news here. George Niang signed a three-year, $26 million deal with the Cavaliers. I like his fit there. I think for the Cavaliers, they needed a little bit more of a three, and George tends to play more of the four position, but I think he'll be great. They needed more shooting, and that is what he does best. Monte Morris was traded to Detroit. Excited for him. That's a homecoming. He is from Flint, Michigan, so he was excited to go back to his home state and, you know, just kind of... He'll, he'll take up what I think is his best role in the NBA as a backup point guard. He'll sit behind Cade, as long as Cade Cunningham can actually be healthy this year. Tyrese Halliburton signed a five-year, $260 million extension with the Pacers, demonstrating just how valuable people in this league think he is. And then last but not least, or maybe a little bit least, that's fine, Taylor Horton Tucker opted into his player option with the Jazz. So all of our guys in the NBA... Doing some moving and shaking, signing some new contracts. So that's exciting to see. And now we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. First, James Harden opted in to his extra year with the 76ers, but 
Then he also said he would like to request a trade, which makes his third trade request, and I'm pretty sure it's under three years. He requested a trade from the Rockets because they weren't competing. I guess I can understand that. He then requested a trade from the Nets because Kyrie Irving is crazy. Definitely get that. And now he is requesting a trade from the 76ers for reasons that I don't really understand, to be honest. We'll see how that goes for him. I don't know why he feels like he needs to leave. I think you should stay partnered with one of the best big men in the NBA. But hey, he seems to like to move around. Maybe he just enjoys buying some new properties. The one thing that I will say here is, does it does it just not his style of basketball not fit in Philadelphia? And alternatively, is this a break for the 76ers organization because they can let guys like Tyrese Maxey Tobias Harris take a bigger role, and obviously Joel Embiid is undisputedly the top option there now. Like there is clear hierarchy on that team of whose whose shot they take. Like James Harden has dropped off of a cliff once they took away the loophole that made him good. I mean, he dropped like fifty in the playoffs against the Celtics, and then another forty thirty. You know, I wouldn't say he's off a cliff. He definitely is nowhere near what he was. But my argument would be that he doesn't have to be. I don't know. I I agree with you that maybe you can get off his contract before he gets even slower and less beneficial than he was this year. But I see a role for him where he doesn't have to do that. He can be more of a, I don't know, like a Rajon Rondo type. You don't have to score 25 points a game. He's one of the best passers in the league. He can play decent defense, not great defense. It's better than it was that one year. He's not a willing contributor on defense. And he also doesn't, he doesn't take care of his body either. James Harden is an Iron Man. What are you talking about? Uh, He probably leads the, leads the league in games played for the past, I don't know, nine, 10 years. He never misses games. But his conditioning isn't that great. I mean, not when he shows up to camp looking like he was auditioning to play Santa Claus. Hey, if you're on the same team as Joel Embiid, I don't think that we have any room to criticize people uh, not being available. That is not their number one concern. <laughs> that, that's fair. Granted, Joel just like gets hit in the face and it breaks and stuff and a lot of freak injuries, but like at least he's available. I don't like the trade request. I think he should stick it out. Um, we've seen this with um, Russell Westbrook as well, though. Maybe it's a little bit harder to swallow that pride and understand that you are not that guy anymore. Um, but it'll be interesting. I honestly, I don't know where he goes. Uh, before another signing, I thought he might go to the Clippers, but I don't really like that fit anymore. I don't know. I really don't have any ideas on it. Especially now that Russell Westbrook is Westbrook is back with the Clippers. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. And it also surprised me because Daryl Morey, his you know BFF, they were together on the Rockets. Now they're together on the Sixers. He's in the front office. I thought that they'd be able to work that out especially after they fired Doc Rivers, because it seemed like a lot of his problems were with Doc Rivers. But apparently not, and he wants to move on again, so we'll see where that ends up. But uh, unless you have anything else about it, I'm, we'll move on from it. Nah, keep, keep, keep rolling. So the Phoenix Suns, as you may remember last time we talked about it, have like more budget tied up in four players than most teams have tied up in their whole team potentially right now. Maybe not after today, but... Uh, you know, four days ago, that potentially could be the case. So 
they've been trying to work on getting that roster filled out next to the super salary team of Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and to a lesser extent, uh, DeAndre Ayton. So they agreed to a reported two-year deal with Eric Gordon. A lot of these we don't have any information on yet because they are not official, but they agreed to a two-year deal with Eric Gordon, Damian Lee, Kita Bates-Diop, Yuto Watanabe, Drew Eubanks, and then a one-year deal with Chemezi Metu. So we kind of see what they're working with here. I don't know how many of those guys any of you know. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I, you read off all those names, and I was like, man, maybe I knew one of those guys. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're working right at the bottom. There are some good guys on that list. Eric Gordon, he's a little over the hill, but he's been a contributor on Contenders before. Uh, Damian Lee had one good year last year, but generally not that great. Keita Bates-Diop, meh. Yuta Watanabe could be a sneaky good guy for them. Uh, Drew Eubanks and Shemezi Metu, I guess uh, you got to keep that bench warm somehow. Uh, so they're working on it. They might have like eight or nine players signed now. We talked about it last week, how they have nobody left. Might I suggest heated seats rather than keeping the bench warm? That might be a cheaper option, right? That might be. They don't have that much money left, so they might have to pay for like a, just a hot hand sitting on a bench. That might be even easier for them. <laughs> but they're, they're coming along. They're trying their best. Um, the Charlotte Hornets... They extended LaMelo Ball, so no real surprise for them there. He is their franchise cornerstone. And uh, apparently Kyle put in here a same contract as Halliburton. Isn't it? I think it's, I think it's five years, 260 as well. So I just see five years, so I believe you, though. But I feel like that's another thing that shows just how valuable people in the league and on the Pacers think that Tyrese Halliburton is. LaMelo Ball gets a lot of press. Passing, shooting point guard one who can do a lot of both and yeah. get it in there and rebound so i mean in a in a era where we were just recently talking about how the league might go as big as possible on teams uh it just goes to show that an adequate not an adequate but a serviceable point guard who can shoot defend willingly if they're if they need to pass really well and get in there and rebound is again a a huge advantage a la Jamal Murray for the for the Nuggets this year for sure I think that uh you know I'm biased you're probably a little biased but if I was gonna guess who is gonna be the better player it maybe is LaMelo Ball but who's gonna contribute to winning more I would pick Tyrese Halliburton over LaMelo Ball personally yeah I would probably say the same thing I mean star I the the talent is there with Lamelo Ball, but he's already had some injury concerns. I think Halliburton might be the more durable player for career longevity, and therefore might be more of a winner. He's more of a guy who seems to be a little bit more team oriented rather than limelight, um, spotlight type player. Yeah, I do think. I don't know if I've said this before, if we've talked about it, but speaking of the Ball brothers, I don't think that. Lonzo's playing at all this year as well. So the Ball family definitely has a history of injuries, and I don't know that he's ever coming back. That's that. I think that's the biggest concern that a lot of people have talked about recently is I think the Bulls even said that they have concerns that he will never play again. And the reasoning behind that was, well, the speculation behind it, I won't say the reasoning because we don't know for sure, 
is that the the triple B shoes big baller brand yeah the big baller brand shoes were rolled out with zero research and like that. human factors engineering and just pushed out for looks rather than uh they, comfort they look that nice either and support so and there's reason to believe that his injuries are due in direct correlation to those shoes being absolute garbage so and that kind of ruined his career that that one hurts. And the interesting thing is the last time I had seen something about it, he'd been to like four or five different doctors and they couldn't decide what they thought was wrong with it and why it was not getting better. So weird, but really disappointing because he really started coming into his own on the Bulls and made that team a lot better. And now potentially he may not ever play basketball again, which is sad. The other signing for the Hornets, uh, they signed a one-year deal, $7.9 million to Miles Bridges. Uh, and then moving on, we have the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, they signed Jeremy Grant to a very, very large five-year, $160 million deal. I believe that's the largest that anyone has signed this offseason. Well, that's not the largest signed this offseason because we just got off of the Tyrese Halliburton and LaMelo oh, Ball yeah, contract. Right. But, but that might be the largest contract for a person who I had to actually look up and remind myself of who they were. <laughs> when this came across, I was like, who are they yeah. signing? And for that much money? Just seems a little crazy to me. I know they were talking about how they needed wing talent, but like weren't able to go out and get Chris Middleton instead of Jeremy Grant? Yeah, it definitely feels like a little bit of an overpay. I don't know if they were doing it to try and keep as much talent as they could to try and keep Dame in the building, which, spoiler alert to what we're talking about next, did not work. But yeah, uh, it seems to be the, a little bit of a confusing deal. That's definitely the one I've heard people talk about the most is like, why did they spend that much on him? Granted, once once the deal is over, contracts will be so inflated and there's a new TV deal halfway through that, so it won't look that bad by the end, I don't think. But yeah, just a really big and long-term deal for an okay player who probably will never sniff an all-star team. But then like we alluded to, Damian Lillard has officially requested a trade from the Trailblazers. He says the Heat or the Nets are his preferred destinations. However, uh, unlike what I was talking to you guys about a couple days ago, apparently the front office in Portland has said, we don't care where you want to go. We are going to try and get the best return for us. Uh, And that's probably not Miami and we'll see what happens. So keep an eye out. I kind of figured they would try and help him out and get him where he needs to go. But I respect the front office for looking out for the team that they have instead of the team that's been there for the past 15 years or however long Dame has been there. It feels like it's been forever. But we'll see how that ends up. He doesn't have a ton of leverage. He has three years left on his deal. You know, he's talked about how little the Wizards got for Bradley Beal, but he had a no trade clause. So he literally could just pick wherever he wanted and they had to send him there. Oddly enough, that is the only no trade clause in the NBA. And it's for Bradley Beal for some reason. Because he had negotiating power in Washington at that time. I guess, but really weird. The one team that I've always thought that would be a really good fit for Dame right now. uh, I don't know. Similar climate to Portland. Look for hit. Look for Milwaukee to potentially be a contender. I know they just signed Chris Middleton to that big deal, but if Chris Middleton doesn't have a no trade clause, 
what's I mean, what's the difference in them picking up another big contract, right? Chris Middleton could be an enticing piece to return, could be a big shooter and a big wing to pair with Scoot Henderson. And then Dame obviously fits in well with Giannis. Uh, do you then package in like Drew Holiday as well? Maybe it's a three-team deal in that aspect. So that's a team that I've always thought would be a really good fit for him. I know it's not on his list, but that is a team that he gets to go to in a win-now position where he could be a featured player along with one of the best and most versatile talents in the NBA right now. I'm going to ask a question that I don't know the answer to, and you probably don't know the answer to. Can you trade a player right after you sign them? Like if you just signed Chris, there's sign in trades, right? That's, true. That's a yeah, thing. You could definitely do that. And I, there's lots of rules involved that I don't know off the top of my head. An interesting place that I like for sure. The bucks would be good. But one I'm interested in that I haven't heard a ton of people talk about is the Pelicans. They're pretty close. And if you could pair them with Ingram and Zion, I like that a lot. Is Zion going to play? Come on. What do you want from me? Okay, I'm I'm theorizing. This is all theoretical. So then what are they going to get back in return? CJ McCollum? Yeah, CJ McCollum goes back. Probably a couple of young guys. They have a pretty deep roster. They have picks as well. They definitely have the stuff they need to get it done. And CJ McCollum is a great veteran presence. He's on the NBA PA. He's a vice president there. So, like, I like that for them. I don't know if they would do it, but I, I think that would be beneficial for both teams. I don't teams. love it for Dame. For Dame? Yeah. Why? I think that, I don't know. I don't think he wants to go to a place where there's so much uncertainty surrounding one player. That's fair. Zion is hard to determine because if he's playing, he's a top 10 player in the league, in my opinion. But like, is he? Does he? Will he? Hard to tell. And currently he's focusing more on OnlyFans models rather than basketball. Well, yeah. so. I was going to say he's like Kyrie without all the drama, but recently there's been some drama as well. So you never know. I It'll be interesting. Part of me feels like he'll still end up on the heat somehow. It may be in a weird three team deal. But I don't know. We'll we'll keep an eye on it. See what happens there. Sacramento renegotiated some bonuses deal. So they got him re-signed. I lost my thing, so I don't have the number, but it's fine. He's renegotiated. It's all great. Everybody loves it. Um, the Rockets signed Fred Van Vliet to a three-year $130 million contract. That is your other very big contract that People were a little bit surprised about. I, to be honest, I'm a little bit confused at what exactly the Rockets' plan is. I don't think the Rockets are that, they were terrible last season, obviously. And then I don't know that they're supposed to be that good this year, but they signed Fred Van Vliet to a three year, $130 million contract. They signed Dylan Brooks to a four year, $80 million contract. And then they signed, oddly enough, Jock Landale from the Suns to a four-year, $32 million contract, which is pretty big for Jock Landale. Uh, and I don't really get it because they have Alperin Shengun, who is very good. He played well last year, and they just keep picking more guys to play his same position. Like, for some reason, the, the organization just doesn't seem to want a lot to play as much. And then they spent all this money on Dylan Brooks when they just drafted Eamon Thompson who, in theory, plays the guard position. He might play the two, but you already have Kevin Porter and Jalen Green. And now Fred and now Fred Van Vliet, which is your point guard. 
Fred VanVleet, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., Eamon Thompson, Cam Whitmore fits in there somewhere on the wing, and those are all guys who are going to be looking to get time in the backcourt. We all know that Jalen Green just likes to shoot anyway, so I don't really understand what their rotation looks like, and I don't understand why they're spending so much money to do it. Granted, the one thing I do have faith in, they did hire Ime Udoka as their coach. He's a really good coach, regardless of any personal issues he may have on the side. So hopefully he can lock those guys in. I do think Dylan Brooks is a guy who brings that defensive intensity as well as Ime Udoka. So maybe they'll get it locked in, but I'm very confused on where they're going or why. <laughs> but you never know. Maybe it'll work out great. Sorry, I was going to say, speaking of confusing, and then I jumped the gun because I was looking ahead to the Mavs, but finish up on the Rockets. No, yeah, I was just going to say, sometimes teams surprise you and they come out of nowhere. I don't think anybody expected the Sacramento Kings to be that good this year. So you never know, maybe the Rockets can do that. But hey, what do you know? The Dallas Mavericks, despite all the hemming and hawing and apparently holding meetings with the Suns, even though they have no money, uh, Kyrie just signed to three years and $126 million to the Mavs. Um, they were kind of in a no. That's what they had to do. They just traded a bunch of money for him at the end of the season. You either traded everybody on your team for, I think, 14 or 16 games of Kyrie, or you have to re-sign him and hope that you get more than 16 games in the next three years. You never know with him. But they kind of put themselves between a rock and a crazy place, and they're just going to have to deal with it now when you hope that you get some you know, calm and nice Kyrie, because if he's just playing basketball, he's fun to watch. When is Luca due for an extension? Oh, I don't know off the top of my head. I think he has two or three more years. Because they just gave Kyrie a ton of money they for did. being old, prickly, and hard to deal with, and historically, as of late, literally blowing teams up single-handedly. So this should be fun to watch. Yeah. But, man... You got like JaVale McGee, Rashawn Holmes there. That What an eclectic bunch in Miami, or not Miami, uh, Dallas. But yeah, and then in addition to Kyrie, they also signed Seth Curry back again. This is his third time being on the Mavericks. He signed for an $8 million contract for two years, and they also re-signed Dwight Powell to a three-year $12 million deal. The Knicks added Dante DiVincenzo off of a one-year deal with the Warriors. He is now with the Knicks for four years on a $50 million deal. That does add him to Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart as they work on their New York Wildcats team, getting together all those Villanova guys. And I can't really argue with it because they won like crazy when they were there. As we talked about before, the Cavs got George Niang. Obviously, biggest win of the offseason. I'm sure they're celebrating and popping champagne. Uh, they also agreed to a reported two-year $32 million deal to re-sign Karis LeVert, and they have a $5 million two-year offer sheet to guard Ty Jerome. The Clippers have re-signed for $8 million in two years. Russell Westbrook, like we talked about earlier, I had liked the fit for James Harden before, but Despite, you know, it's not 10 years ago and this isn't the Thunder. I don't love James Harden and Russell Westbrook on the same team. And then you add in, theoretically, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. 
<laughs> how many times are you going to see all four of those guys in one game? Probably not that often. Uh, but then it, it's just an odd lineup with too many guys who need shots. But potentially, maybe Harden ends up there, maybe in somewhere else. The Golden State Warriors re-signed Draymond Green, like I said last week. He signed for a four-year, $100 million contract. At this point, I'm like, just keep the big three until they want to retire. You know, just ride it out. Steph, Clay, and Dre all the way. They got you, like, all your championships. You might as well just keep them. Uh, The Brooklyn Nets, continuing their, I guess, trend since they traded away all their stars by just having a bunch of decent wing guys they are basically just a huge team of okay to like good role players with no real star unless you think Mikhail Bridges is that star um they reportedly have a one-year deal with Lonnie Walker the fourth and then they also re-signed Cam Johnson to four years 108 million dollars kind of a sneaky dame team there as well like I said they have a ton of good role players some younger guys and they have pretty good 3 and D wings. It wouldn't be a terrible thing to, you know, partner up with Dame. And then they have a two-way kind of center with Nick Claxton. Something to watch for sure. I don't think that would be terrible. I don't know that they'd be a championship contender, especially in the East. But he could win some games there for sure. The Pacers went ahead and got Bruce Brown fresh off a championship with the Nuggets to a two-year $45 million contract. They re-signed Tyrese Halliburton, as we talked about. And just today, they made a trade for Obi Toppin from the New York Knicks. So that's a great lob threat for Tyrese to go at next year. And I think that we're going to see a big step up from the Pacers next year. So look out for that. I wouldn't be shocked if they're in the postseason. The Memphis Grizzlies signed Derrick Rose, often the player who gets comped to John Moran a lot, or vice versa, rather. So that'll be interesting to see him kind of Take Ja under his wing and talk about maybe not blowing up your knees when you're dunking so hard. And uh, Derek Rose will also join Marcus Smart on Ja fill-in duty, as we know he's uh, suspended for the first like quarter of the season. And then they also extended Desmond Bain to a five-year max extension. And then the Lakers doing a lot of work because almost everybody on the roster was like a free agent in some aspect. They Resigned Austin Reeves to a four-year, $54 million deal. They re-signed D'Angelo Russell to a two-year, $37 million deal. And Rui Hachimura to a three-year, $51 million deal. I would like to say that I said on this podcast that I liked that Rui Hachimura trade a lot, and I thought he was going to be good. And I was, I feel like the only person who liked that, all the national media and like big people thought that was a stupid trade. So I want to pat myself on the back for that one. Good job, me. And then they also have reportedly entered into a deal with Jackson Hayes and Cam Reddish. Then they signed Gabe Vincent to three years, $33 million, and Torian Prince to one year, $4.5 million. So honestly, I'm looking at all these, and I like pretty much all of these, except for D'Angelo Russell. I think those are all really good additions for them, and I think that we will see next year the Lakers look a lot more like the team that was after the deadline than before the deadline. However, that all relies on Anthony Davis's health. You bet. Yep, there it is. Can Anthony Davis's glass bones last that long? 
And how long can you rely on old man LeBron to just keep having to carry your team, even though he's almost 40? At some point, someone else has to take over for this man. He can't just keep being a top five player in the NBA forever. And I don't I don't see any stars on this team besides Anthony Davis, right? Austin Reeves isn't a star. He's old because he stayed at Oklahoma for 45 years. D'Angelo Russell goes through patches and we're, we're like, okay, he can be a really good addition to a, a team to fan. all of a sudden being, why do we have him on this court? Much like a Russell Westbrook, Rui Hachimura, like he's a good piece, but he's not it. Neither are any of those other signings. So like, it is literally LeBron and Anthony Davis, and you are relying on one of the most fragile guys in the NBA, a guy who's done it, but his shooting's going down a little bit. He relies a lot more on just driving and getting to the basket, which is fine, but he's old. And how long can he physically keep doing that? I think he's played something like five or six, maybe it's four seasons and just postseason minutes alone. Like, he has played an absurd amount of minutes in the NBA. And the fact that he's even in the league still is remarkable, let alone the fact that he is an all-star still. Also, Austin Reeves, so old, he's 25. You know, that's fine. He's just entering his prime right there, so that should be fine. If they have their two stars, all of their guys that they have are perfect complementary pieces. But if those guys go out, now you have a weird team full of only complimentary players and you look a lot more like the Brooklyn Nets and not a team that has any championship aspirations. So yeah, can Anthony Davis stay healthy? Spoiler alert, he won't. And can LeBron just keep being LeBron? Who really knows at this point? He seems to defy father time so far, but it's it's two paths, right? Does he end up on the Peyton Manning side where he's just bad all of a sudden? Or is he just Tom Brady where you just keep being good? and then retire two times. Who knows? Moving on, the Milwaukee Bucks re-signed Brooke Lopez to a two-year $48 million deal, and as we alluded to earlier, Chris Middleton to a three-year $102 million deal. The Pels re-signed Herbert Herbert Jones, wow, that was hard to say, uh, to four years $54 million, like that. Herb Jones is a really good defender. Uh, Wiz... Washington re-signed Kyle Kuzma to a four-year, $102 million deal. The Magic get Joe Ingles for two years on $22 million, and they re-signed Mo Wagner, uh, a big favorite of Wyatt's, to a two-year, $16 million deal. Uh, The Bulls have re-signed Nikola Vucevic to a three-year, $60 million contract. Uh, Just kind of confusing everyone as to what their goal is here. They really weren't that good last year, so... Why are we now signing up for more last spot of the play-in, potentially not being in the play-in? It, it's just like a place that doesn't benefit you. It's kind of the, you know, you, you either want to be bad and get the first round pick, first, first overall pick, or you want to be good and make the playoffs. What are you doing in the middle? And why are you committing to the middle long term? But we'll see. I don't know exactly where that goes. Maybe they think they can take a step and get some just kind of benefits from their younger guys stepping up. Who knows? This is kind of a new decision-making group in Chicago, so we will see what happens. I don't love that deal. 
I don't think a lot of people love that deal. Um, but the Timberwolves, I don't think we covered this, but we're just talking about everybody right now, so we'll say it. They re-signed Nas Reed to a $42 million three-year deal. And then the Raptors re-signed Jakob Pertl to a four-year $80 million deal and also picked up Dennis Schroeder to a two-year $26 million deal to complete their signings that make phonetics cry. Um, and that's pretty much everything I have. Uh feel like I've been talking forever. Does anybody have any thoughts on any of those? Anything I missed, Kyle, that you want to talk about? I mean, that was a comprehensive list. I, there, There's going to be a few others in there. This Naz Reed one was weird, how the Timberwolves have committed an insane amount of money to three people who played the center position. It's a good Kyle, deal for Naz Reed. Kyle Kuzma, welcome to hell for four years. Sorry, just is what it is. I I don't know. I mean, winners and losers. Let's do this. I think the Lakers are big winners. I think Milwaukee stayed, basically brought the band back. They're going to be okay as long as the the retirement center um, in the Bay Area stays healthy. They'll probably be okay. Interesting to see if some of their new pieces do well. The Heat really didn't get better. Depending on where Dame goes, obviously uh, that helps the Suns, and we'll see what like them and the we'll see we'll see what those four players in the JV squad are able to do next year. I think the Cavs are a sneaky good team next year, and for a couple of years to come, maybe. I think there's definitely the Lakers. They did the Pacers, the Bucks. The Cavaliers, for sure. I like what those teams did a lot. Losers, for me, probably have to be the Trailblazers. Depending on what they can get back for Dame, that feels like a lose right now to me. The Rockets, I just don't understand it, and I don't like it. And then, uh, I would say Bulls fans are probably losers there as well. Maybe the team is mediocre and makes the 9 seed or the 10 seed, but they'll hate watching it, and it's not going to be that fun. Here's here's a team that I here's another team or I'll give you two teams that I think are losers. The Celtics, I don't know if I love Przingis there. And you are still on this weird Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown pairing that hasn't really worked. Ultimately, they're basically just like, all right, we'll run it back and we'll add a guy who's often hurt uh, and unavailable. I think uh, I heard a little prickly Smart. too. I feel like mixing. Uh, they were a cult. He was a culture guy, and yes, they got rid of him. I don't love that movie either. And the Seventy Sixers aren't better. I don't think. I don't even know what to make of that. So uh, teams that are there are teams in the East who I have my eyes on a lot now, like the Cavs and the the Bucks are obviously going to be really good again, mm. but. The other two contending teams, three maybe, between the Heat, the 76ers, and the Celtics, I don't really know what to make of their situations, nor do I really love it. I mean, the Celtics are going to be good again, probably. Yeah, I think the Celtics are probably a top two seed. The 76ers will go as far as Joel Embiid can take them, and that's really what you got. Yeah, when we look at the East, I feel like it's the Bucks and the Celtics at the top, probably. And then it's like, who knows, for the 76ers and the Heat? And then you definitely have some new teams moving up there, I think, in the East. 
Obviously, the the Cavaliers, I believe, were the four seed this year. New York still looks good. It's it's going to be a little murky until we see where all these guards end up at the end of the free agency period. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. I like I like your thoughts. And if we don't have anything else, we can move on to the next section. That next section will be Mike's stupid rules, of course. However, Mike's not here this week. So instead of going over a rule like like Mike usually would, I want to ask you two, what is a stupid rule in, in any sport that you want to see changed? And while you think about that, I'll lead off and say that the one thing that I would love to see changed specifically for college football is that the catch rule mimics the NFL where you have to have two feet in bounds, not just one. I feel like this would help eliminate a lot of confusion that fans have when they switch back and forth between watching college and professional. But more importantly, it would also eliminate some of this controversy that we have with one toe in or on or close to the line. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's a catcher. No, that's not a catch. Everyone got it wrong. We can eliminate most of this by just having two feet in bounds and call that a catch. I don't like that. Personally, I think the one foot catch rule leads to more exciting catches along the sideline. There's a lot more you can do. You can just kind of drag one toe. It's obviously a lot harder to get two feet in, which is why we leave it to the professionals. I think it leads to some more spectacular outstretch. Just get a toe down in the back of the end zone. I like it aesthetically, personally, but would I cry if they changed the rule? No, probably not. That's fair. The other option there is to make NFL a one foot a one foot catch, right? Hmm. Uh, which I guess I wouldn't be super opposed to that, but I, I do hate, especially last year, we had a couple instances where there was a cleat on the line and like there was one blade of grass touching it. But you're going to have that with two feet too, right? Yeah. I feel like there's less of a possibility for that to happen though, because how often are you going to have both feet on the very tippity tip edge? I feel like you definitely see it. Yeah, it happens. Uh, either way, consistency between college and professional. I guess that would either make NFL a one-foot catch or college a two-foot catches is what I would like to see. The XFL also had one-foot catch this season, so it's fun to see. I liked it in that league. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I, it's not so much the rule, but it's the way they enforce the rule. And this needs to change. And it reared its ugly head this weekend in Austria for the Formula One Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring. Uh, this track is notorious for exceeding track limits, which just as it sounds and implies, you go outside of the track limits and therefore you have lap times deleted. Now, it has a huge impact in qualifying as we saw today, like, or sorry, not today, on Friday, since it was a sprint race weekend. But if you exceed track limits and the FIA and the stewards enforce it, you can have your lap time deleted and you might not make it to the next round. And that's just how it goes. I don't love that part. Now, when it's enforced in the race, we have no clue how the FIA is judging this, watching this. Uh, I was speculating this while watching the race this weekend. Like, do they have one guy sitting there being like, all right, you have to watch Lewis Hamilton and you're going to enforce it for him because Lewis Hamilton was hit with track limits first and foremost before anyone else. Then it was Yuki Sonoda, a whole bunch of other people. And yet I was watching Checo Perez exceeding track limits all the time. 
and they weren't enforcing it for Red Bull. And I'm sure Max Verstappen was because he's always on the edge of things and it just wasn't enforced. Carlos Sainz got hit with it a bunch. And the, there was a huge ordeal at the end of the race today in which you can, everyone can go look it up and read about it. Uh, Aston Martin protested the race at the end uh, for all of the occurrences of track limits. There was supposedly like 1,200 instances from the race in which cars were exceeding track limits. And Esteban Ocon must have been running on a completely different racing track the entirety of the race because after the race ended, he was hit with a 30-second time penalty for exceeding track limits. That is, I don't love the way they enforce it. They need to figure out something different because it doesn't seem fair and equitable between all teams and all drivers throughout the race. And there is absolutely no way for us to know how they are reviewing it and implementing those time penalties as they occur and as they happen. I do have a question, and you might not have an answer. It used to be back in the day, a couple a couple of years ago, track limits exceeding track limits was only when you had all four tires outside the white line of the track. That is, and correct. I think a, a couple of years ago they changed that to be. They will only enforce track limits at certain corners on certain tracks. And it also changed to be all four tires on the outside of the curb rather than the white line. Did, did that change back to the white line now? It is still the white line. Now, I don't know if they do that enforcing differently on different corners in different circuits. I mean, obviously, sometimes there are corners in where there is literally just a wall there. So if you exceed track limits, well you're screwed. But in instances like this, it is very easy to exceed track limits and it is all four tires on the other side of the white line. Basically, if the stewards can see the white line on, in this case, most of the time on this track, since it was a clockwise circuit on the right, on the outside of the right side of your vehicle, then that is exceeding track limits. Gotcha. I, I would. I tend to agree with you. I've never really liked the track limits enforcements to begin with. I feel like exceeding track limits should have a natural consequence uh, of that being a slower lap time, right? And not not all circuits can can have that. But I feel like in a large majority of the cases, bringing up the gravel or or some other type of material to slow down the vehicle would be a better option, right? You, you want to have natural consequences, not something like like you mentioned where the stewards are there looking at a car, what car they're looking at, whatnot. Forced consequences and. They only catch you if they see it. And, and it also, if you look at Lewis Hamilton, he's probably going to have more eyes on him anyway because he's up further in the action. So yeah. I, I could see why and how he, he well, would Well, and have... he, was, he was in an intense battle uh, about P4, P5, P6, like the whole race. So there were a lot of camera shots on him. So the instances of seeing that were high. Now, Max Verstappen was running his own race about 10 to... Anywhere between 10 and 30 seconds out in front of P2. Jeez. So no, no cameras on Max Verstappen and coincidence that no enforcement's there? I don't know. So, yeah, it just didn't seem equitable, and they need to do something, and I am totally fine if they do it via track, uh, like updating the, the track to make more of a natural uh, issue there, um, or natural consequences you were talking about, or giving better insight to how it's done and penalizing it equally for everyone because i feel for esteban Ocon, right 30 second time penalty dropped him like 10 spots this weekend any rules you would like to see changed arian yeah mine is pretty simple. um 
as a person who likes to watch basketball a lot, I watch the NBA and I watch college. And I just don't understand a reason why there is still no jump ball in college basketball. Why do we have the possession arrow still? I don't like the idea that if you happen to be on the wrong side of the possession arrow and you lock a ball up at the end of the game, too bad. We're giving the ball right back to the team that you just forced a tie up with. Like you should at least have a chance to jump it up and potentially get the ball back. I would I would like to see just an actual jump ball implemented into college basketball because I don't understand any reason why it can't be. Can I add a writer to that? Can we also make men's college basketball quarters instead of Yes. Halves? Why is it the only form of basketball that's in halves? I really I, don't know. That might I be a good no research clue. topic for us. It I, is I don't know. They moved the women over, what, eight years ago, approximately? Yeah. Seven or eight years ago, and the men just didn't? Yeah, I I don't know. I, I would I would I agree with you on that change, but yeah, add a writer for uh, halves to quarters for men's basketball. Yeah, I like both of those. I like it. So if you're an official or other administrator out there that can help us make these rule changes come to fruition, do that, and also let us know at eighty three eleven cast on Instagram and Twitter. That will conclude our Mike Stupid rules, and we'll jump right into write that down predictions. Kyle, I will let you keep us informed and help hold us accountable in our accountability session. Yeah, so I'm Mike Standin. Bear with me, everyone. Not as good. I'm trying to hold down the fort in his absence, obviously. So a while back, Mike actually was on the Cardinals bandwagon saying that they would be back in first by the end of June. Well, as of recording this episode, July 2nd, the Cardinals are in last place in the NL Central. So for that, Mike gets a Also, uh, last week, I predicted and made up my own triple crown, not associated with horse racing or actual automobile racing which has its own triple crown but the triple crown of this weekend which was a pole a sprint win and a race win for red bull max verstappen did all three completing that triple crown uh as i stated so for that i get a ding 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 ding, ding, ding. i i should have known better thanks for the home run on that wyatt love that hey, how, how often are you gonna see a pole a sprint win and race win from not only the same team but the same driver i mean i don't that, know that, at their home track i know like you? i said I, I i should have known better but i didn't have nearly as much faith in red bull as i probably should have i still don't know uh, that could have been a great prediction for all i know it was i thought it was it was a really good prediction yeah Ariane, you have the pleasure of still being the one to lead us off with predictions so go forth yeah let's get us started here um much with the theme of this episode i'm gonna stick it Back to the NBA, and I'm going to say James Harden and Damian Lillard will be traded within 30 days of this recording, which, uh, as it won't come out today, uh, that will be August 1st. So by, you know, the stroke of midnight on August 2nd, I guess, both of them will be traded. Mm. And there are really no odds on this, so it's just, you know, gut feeling. Obviously, obviously they both requested trades, right? Yes. Now... Who's willing to build? Who's willing to belly up to the bar and pay the piper for these guys? I don't know. What I do know is that Harden opted in, so technically yep. he could play for the 76ers if the season started. Both of them could, right? And then they could trade them by the trading deadline. So there is a very real possibility that this just doesn't happen. There is a possibility, I think, with both of these players that they could play with the teams that they are on to start this season. I think with 
the fact that it is both of them, you're saying both of them will be traded within 30 days. I'm willing to say triple on this. I don't know how you feel, Wyatt, but Mike might be literally punching something for us giving this prediction, but he's not here, so we could be generous. Yeah, you're telling me. Ariane and I made a a really stupid one a couple of, uh, what, a year or two ago? We don't have to talk about it. Yeah, Yeah. preaching to the choir here. My (laughs) gut read on this was a double, because I feel like, just based off what we talked about earlier this episode and, and the brief snippets I've seen, um from around the internet it seems like this is likely uh but i i can't really you don't worry about basketball than, than i do nba i don't no i i don't i yeah, you i lead on that I do. Than I do <laughs> <laughs> do you just want to say double and then we flip a coin and arian gets chance yeah. here I don't I don't okay take it. my gut was a double so I, I do have our john adams gold dollar here to decide this tiebreaker He's ready to go. I'm going to flick it. Kyle, I want you to name heads or tails. If you're correct, it will be a triple. If you're incorrect, it will be a double. Uh, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Tails. It is heads. This will be ah. a double. All right. Sorry, Arian. I tried. Hey, John Adams said so, so I can't complain. And then Kyle um, inspired me by having two picks, and his second pick was a weird niche sport that nobody cares about. So I decided to do the same thing, and I'm going to predict that next next weekend, an American woman will be on the podium for lead climbing, and an Indonesian man will be on the podium for speed climbing in Chamonix, France, at the International Federation of Sport Climbing's World Cup. And now to follow that up, because you guys have no idea what that means, yep. um, it's pretty much a single that an Indonesian man will be in at least a top three spot for um speed climbing uh the best speed climber in the world is like kiramal katan or something and they have an incredible speed climbing team for men so that's a single uh for women you're probably looking at between a triple and potentially a double it's really the second or first i think it's the second lead competition of the year so we don't know how everybody's doing and i haven't watched the one from last weekend so i don't know how it went for the americans but I'd say you're looking at between a triple and a single for those two, basically. I know what lead climbing is. That's when you have two people, right? And there's one person that's climbing up as the lead and attaching their rope to carabiners throughout throughout the, the route, correct? That is correct. And then speed climbing, I'm assuming, is just go as fast as you can. Is that with a rope or is that bouldering? It is a with rope? a rope. So speed climbing is it's a set route that is the same everywhere. And then you literally, it's like an auto belay. So there's one thing at the top and it just sucks it up as you go up and you just sprint up as fast as you can. And it's like head to head heats. So I, I like to compare it to like hurdles, basically. Mm. It's almost like a track event, except you're going straight up instead of on the ground. You mentioned auto belay. That's the device hanging up at the top, right? And then when you jump down, that slows your fall. So you don't have correct. a person controlling the rope. It's just like a machine controlling. That the is correct. Right yep. If anybody's been to like a climbing gym or like a random state fair that has a wall out there, that's what the thingy at the top is to make sure you don't die. Love that. Love a good fail safe. Yeah, I, I don't like dying. So you said once a single and one is a double or a triple. That to yeah, me means that probably together. Like triple. Yeah, together they're probably a triple then. I think that's probably fair. Sure. Wow, that was easier than the one that we actually knew a little bit about. So uh, <laughs> we'll give that one a triple. 
Do we have anything from Mike this week? I know he's gone. Were you able to get a prediction from him, Kyle? We do. I reached out to him, and he has been performing mightily in uh, fantasy baseball this season, and he is saying that he will win the fantasy baseball championship. So once we get to the playoffs, it is his to lose. I believe he is the first overall seed right now he is, he is the number one overall seed at 10 and 2 next best team is 9 and 3 he is gonna win his matchup this week barely pushing him to 11 and 2 he has scored by far the most points in the league I'm pretty sure i'm second though you are not you are tied for second okay the only difference is that he's JK, 10 and 2 you're tied and for like third. five and seven yeah. you're tied for third so oh. Yeah, I slipped this week. I mean, who's he's, in second then? Not you. Uh, yeah, Greg. definitely not me. Ah, uh, okay. Father it's probably Ludwig. Ludwig. Just assume it's a Ludwig. Yeah, I'd say a single. I'd give him at least a fifty percent shot. Yeah, that's I, fair. I think he has a better than a fifty percent chance to win. Yeah, so I, I like that as a single. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He is still alive, and he. Uh, is making another Brewers prediction uh, in spite of the Cubs. Brewers will sweep the Cubs in their upcoming series. Now, thanks to Fangraphs and my astute um, planning for this, uh, unlike last time Mike was absent, I have these stats pulled up. So the Cubs have a 47.9% chance to win game one, a 44.6% chance to win game two, and a 26.4% chance to win game three. So the Cubs' chances like to win all those. 5% games. chance, I think. I've, I missed some of the numbers, so I could be wrong. Here, 47.9, 44.6, and 26.4. Yeah, it's like a 5% chance. Of the Cubs winning so the whole sweet. thing. Yeah. So for Milwaukee... I mean, it's just the inverse, right? They actually have a better chance to win the last game, so... It's pretty low. Still pretty low. Triple? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, don't, I don't see it happening. I don't think uh, it's a home run, but... I don't either. All right, triple it is, Josh. There you have it. I like it. Uh, I will go ahead and throw up on the board that the Cubs will be top two in the NL Central by the end of August. So they'll either be first or tied for second or it's second. I mean, as it stands right now, that division, that division's pretty close. Yes, like, certainly not from the Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, sure. I mean, you're only five and a half out. Of There's only two teams with a winning record. Like. First. <laughs> so a tie for second or a tie for first, which, uh, man, I think they could do it. I think they can do it. They I mean, are the only team in the division with a with a positive oh run God, differential. Right. Yeah, don't look at that. Don't look oh at my us. God! Ugh. What, what the NL Central is doing its best to become the AL Central. I was gonna say we owe it all the AL Central that less people aren't talking <laughs> are talking about the NL Central. Good God! Yeah, so you know usually what? Usually, it's the NL Central is a dumpster fire. So. Uh, yeah, really, I like the Central really still doesn't have a winning team. <laughs> Gross. Um, you know, I'm gonna give that like a double. Sure. I I don't believe in Milwaukee. I think Pittsburgh has had a fun year so far, but they're not them. Cincinnati could drop off a cliff or a cliff. 
Yeah, the Reds and the Pirates, I don't have much faith in. Uh, honestly, the Cardinals really should be getting their stuff together at this point. Should so. be. It's, it's not happening at this point. It, it might. It, it still could. They're in probably going to sell. It's going to be I disappointing. Would, I would bank on that more than the Cubs maintaining their, their current status. But Go ahead. Put it down. <laughs> no, no. I'll, I'll take oh, this as okay. a double. And we'll, so, we'll you won't. so you won't bank on that. <laughs> not, not, not banking with, uh, anything. Yeah, not with anything. We're not writing it down. No. That will conclude mine. Kyle, what do you got to put up on the board? So to echo Ariane, we're going to do an NBA and then an obscure sport here for my predictions. First one, Cavs will be a top three seed in the East next season. Doesn't matter if it's one, two, or three. Make them a top three seed. Interesting. I'm looking to see if I can find uh, any odds on it. I don't. If you said top four, I'd be in. Top five makes it tough. Top three, you mean? Yeah, top three. I was going to say top four, you're in, but top five makes it tough. Sorry, I was looking at something that said top five. Huh? Uh, right now, uh, I'm looking at a site that has Bucks, Celtics, Sixers, Heat, and then Cavaliers down at five. I give it a double. I give it a double. Wow. I can see it happening. Sure. I thought that would be a triple. I don't like it as a triple because that, well, you know, you're talking to the wrong guy because we both really like their offseason moves. So, and I was on their bandwagon last year of saying they were going to be a top four seed when everybody had them as a playing team and they were a top four seed. So, I'm a Cavs guy. I agree with you. I'd say probably a double. I don't know that the the numbers play out for that to be a triple or how low we actually consider that to be. All right. And my next prediction is Ezra Aderhold. Uh, will win a tournament this season on the PDGA Pro Tour. Currently, as it sits, he is, as far as rankings go, he is eighth in the uh, PDGA points rankings, um, 19th in the world rankings. Uh, His best finish is a tie for second at the first tournament of the season when there weren't as many players that actually make it out there for that tournament so that's kind of the outlier uh he's had a 72nd play or finish uh 6 6 11 13 63 11 7 17 and then 18 and then this weekend he just finished 17th so add another top 20 finish to it so he struggled a lot with consistency i'm looking for just a double here i think so I'll go easy on well, you. I would say I have two questions. One, how many tournaments are there left in the season? And second, how consistent are the winners of these? Like, is it the same person yeah. every time? Or is there a large variation in who wins these? Calvin, Calvin Heimberg, Ricky Wysocki, and Isaac Robinson have kind of been your, your main winners here um, throughout this season. Uh they're the most dominant players on tour right now. Oh, and Gannon Burr. Um, so yeah, they're, those are the most dominant players on tour. There's been a spattering of other players who have won um, as well. So uh, it's mostly those four guys that are winning. So he could win. But yeah, seven plus he could potentially... I think he might be going over onto the Euro tour for maybe one or two. So like eight more chances and there's already, he's already competed in five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 
So over half of the season's done already. This seems very unlikely to me. And you're only going for a double? As I've talked through this more, I guess this is probably actually a triple. I was going to say, I have a couple questions. You So obviously you picked this guy for some reason, but he hasn't been super good this year. Is he a guy who used to be good and is a little bit older? Or is he a guy who's about to break out and be good? Is he just a guy who's always on the fringes? He's really young. He's an up and coming yeah. arm talent who can throw really far. He's just got to update or up a couple areas of his game a little bit. He's probably one of my favorite players on tour right now. Gotcha. Shout out to him. I got my disc signed by him in Emporia. What a nice guy. Seemed like a really nice guy. So, yeah, that's kind of why I picked him. And then my second question, which doesn't have to do with this prediction necessarily, like, how international is it? I don't usually think of disc golf as being like a big worldwide sport. Are there a lot of international people or is it mostly Americans? It's becoming um, more popular now. There was just a stat put out that there are now more courses in the United disc golf courses in the United States than there are Dunkin Donuts. Hmm. So it is it's a growing sport. It's pop getting more popularity uh it is becoming a little bit more national due to some player or international i should say due to some players making it so but there is more of a european tour uh that's been happening for the past couple of weeks in like sweden uh uh hungary i think they made a stop in i think they're going to norway next really beautiful courses over there uh when i've been watching some of the coverage so it is becoming more of an international um, sport here recently, especially with some of the top um, American players wanting to go over and play um, the Euro Tour. Uh, disc golf also is getting entries into the next Summer Olympic Games, whenever they are. If that's 2024, 2026. I don't remember, but there will disc golf will be a um, entry sport in the next Summer Olympics. Cool. Yeah, I feel like probably a triple is fine with me. That's cool. fine. Yeah. You said double, but I agree with Kyle. It seems like maybe that won't happen. I don't know. Maybe you're pulling one over on us. You're 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 free to do that. That's fine. My, my yeah. gut read was actually a home run on this one. Yeah, hmm. triple. It's not a home run. He's a young hot shot. He's got I it. will I will say eighth in the rankings, that's not a home run. Now the can the level of inconsistency has been there, but all right. With a uh, single, three doubles, and three triples, I think I did my math right. That concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the 8311Cast, episode 229. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311Cast on Instagram and Twitter. Signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Ariane Barry. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.